So, we're ready to do this? Um, I I actually I don't feel quite prepared. I just why? Well, I don't I don't know who this guy is, and so when I was kind of googling him, I just came up with a bunch of churches, and so I it was you... kind of tough to find all this stuff. What are you talking about? We're talking about Saint Patrick. You yeah, you're Irish. How do you not know who Saint Patrick is? Uh, should I? I mean, Patrick. I know Saint Bridget, uh, and I I know a lot about like Irish nationalism and. IRA and, and things like that. I I don't uh, know what you're... I, I've never heard of this. I mean... There's like the whole day where we wear green and we just get drunk. Like that day is all named after St. Patrick. How do you not... Oh, I just call that Tuesday. Welcome to Nerds on History. I'm Brian Moriarty. I'm Sarah Ashley, and I do know who St. Patrick is. She let's, better. <laughs> let's clarify that right now. Yeah. Otherwise, uh, I just there's no there's no there's no escaping it. Like, like I can't even say your Irish heritage would be revoked because it's beyond that. I'm pretty sure you'd just be. Taken I think I'd be denied American citizenship if yeah. I didn't know who St. Patrick was. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's pretty. It's yeah, it's pretty serious. Folks. It's a. It's a. Very prevalent holiday for not being an actual national holiday. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not even a national holiday in Ireland, I don't think. Um, or if it is, it's just, it's a very it's a very minimal, very minor holiday compared to what we do in the states. Um, you're probably wondering, hey, everybody, where's Eric? Um, well, as we've established, he can't stop breeding. So, uh, yeah. Basically, Martha's about to pop. Yeah. And uh, Eric is doing his husbandly and fatherly duty of taking care of the house and kind of holding down the fort while um, Martha is getting ready to have their fourth child. Yes, indeed. And so he's pretty much on baby call. <laughs> yes. At any moment, uh, he, he could be called away literally any day now. Um, so we're going to give him that time and he'll be back in April mm-hmm. uh, to join us back on and we did this last year march you know coincidentally similar timing um (laughs) one right after the other (laughs) yeah uh we were going to do some funny bit about you know him on it being trapped in a box or somewhere i don't know but we didn't we just couldn't come up with anything clever we did that last year with yeah it's okay being shot basically we're exhausted post oscars (laughs) and so uh but you know eric will be back Shortly, we're only going a couple episodes without him, so he misses you guys. I'm sure you miss him. So, what do we do when the agnostic is gone? We talk about Christianity. Woo! Well, I'm agnostic too. Uh, okay, I'm Fair agnostic enough. with a Catholic background. <laughs> Fair enough. As most Catholics, most agnostics are. They come from a Catholic background. I shouldn't. I shouldn't say most. A, a, a fair amount. A fair yes. amount. Uh, well, it's, it's also Lent, so I feel like it's somewhat appropriate sure. to take a somewhat Christian theme. Well, and honestly. We what basically what happened is we had a request for an episode about Protestant religions. We knew St. Patrick's Day was coming up, and that seemed rather timely. So then we decided, all right, well, let's just go Christian for the month of March and talk about a little bit of religious history. Sure. Um, yeah, and I think it's really interesting because we, in the States, I think people know a little bit about St. Patrick. Mm-hmm. but And his story is actually fairly simple, but... What he represents is, I think, even more fascinating. Sure. And the Christianization of Ireland is more what we're really going to be focusing on. Patrick plays a a part of that, a very big part of that, but he certainly is not all of it. Right. right. 
um, and the how Christianity became so widespread in that country mm-hmm. uh, is, I think, what we really want to discuss. And so let's well, why don't we take it from what the American perception of St. Patrick is, and let's just kind of expand on it from there. Well, I think basically we have him as a sense of of legend. He's the guy who banished the snakes from Ireland. That is what we're taught in elementary school when St. Patrick's Day comes up. But really, as you know, we get older, we kind of learn that that's actually more symbolic of um, banishing sins and the devil and da-da-da. And it's more about bringing Christianity to Ireland. Um, right. Yes, it's a day for, for celebration of um, Irish heritage, Irish nationalism. And um, I think it was actually in the mid-'70s that – Ireland itself took a, a con- pretty concerted effort to actually turn that into the holiday that it actually is now. Right. Even though in Ireland it is on a less scale um, or a lesser scale. I think in places like America, New Zealand, Australia, um, I think even Argentina. Um, yeah, the, the former British colonies seem to love St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I I just don't get it because, I mean – I'm, I mean, I'm from an Irish Catholic family, mm-hmm. so you know, like we definitely understood the significance of St. Patrick. But, I mean, it wasn't like, oh, cool, so what are we going to do? Oh, we're going to get faced Yeah. <laughs> well, I think I think really it is it is a nice day for, in particular, like for my family, we're of Irish heritage too. Um, I mean, who isn't in America? <laughs> if you're, there's like a chance that if you're white and you live in America, you might be part Irish. <laughs> There's a yeah. There's a pretty sizable amount of yeah. uh, population. Um, but for I know for my family, it is a time for us to be like, yeah, let's let us remember the fact that my great grandparents migrated here, great great grandparents migrated here from Ireland with nothing but a basket, um, and started a whole new life here. So kind of um, recognizing where where we came from as far as national heritage. Right. And so, I mean, that's what it's kind of become. It's become really Irish Pride Day yeah. is what it is. Uh, we just have an attack on the feast day of a Roman Catholic yeah. saint to it. Um, and for everybody else who is an Irish, it's the Let's Get Drunk Day, yeah. which I don't mind. Yeah. Do what you got to do. I'll, I'll partake. <laughs> so so let's, let's address the legend real quick. So the legend is St. Patrick, Irish bishop, mm-hmm. drove the snakes out of Ireland yes. and converted Ireland to Christianity mm-hmm. and used the famous shamrock to describe the Trinity uh, to the Irish pagans who were basically to try to understand how could one God exist in three different, yeah. different Which beings. makes sense. Um, actually, in the way if we want to look how folklore is built, it actually makes a lot of sense that um, – he would use the shamrock. It's, you know, got three leaves unless you're talking about the four-leaf clover, which is just a weird mutation. It, it does happen, but it's a mutation. Um, but typically shamrocks have three leaves. And so kind of using that for the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But also knowing that trinities and the symbol of three were really powerful symbols in Celtic pagan society as well. In the Druid uh, religion, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And... Um... You pretty much nail, hit the nail on the head. So it, it, this was a point in time in church history where you have a couple things going on. First of all, uh, record keeping, not that great. Nope. <laughs> no. Well, that's um, because not everybody could read and write. <laughs> sure. I and mean, we're talking very early. We're talking the 5th or 6th century um, in the Common Era. So I, we're talking maybe a couple hundred years after the Council of Nicaea, mm-hmm. right? after the formal congregation of the church. So what you tend to notice with a lot of these saints from the early first millennia, 
is that there's a lot of there's so much legend associated with them and the the truly more mystical saints tend to come from this area same thing with saint george right patron saint of, of england who slayed a dragon you right. know that is the legend of saint of saint george and yet we we accept it even though we now know obviously dragons don't exist it was probably what? a large re- seriously well komodo dragons exist Komodo dragons exist. <laughs> yes, uh, land crocodiles, as they were originally, as they were discovered. Oh my God, Komodo dragons are sorry. Total side tangent. One of the few animals in the animal kingdom that scare the crap out of me. Like I, w- I will never wish to encounter one in the, on a safari or in the wild or anything like that. They actually literally so. Can I, just, me. can I just say something real quick? Mm-hmm. How is it that it's okay for you to be afraid of Komodo dragons, but yet I get made fun of when I get. When I talk about my fear of the aliens. Xenomorphs aren't real. Komodo dragons are real. But they look ten times more terrifying. Fictional universe is where xenomorphs live. Komodo dragons live in reality. Don't muddle me with your details. There are documentaries of Komodo dragons stalking a freaking wildebeest until it like and biting it with poison choppers until it and like just watching it like stalking it till it dies. And then they tear it apart. That is freaking scary i'm just saying the xenos spit acid that's all i'm you know they're not real <laughs> clearly we're in an in, in, at an impasse <laughs> clearly <laughs> you're wrong <laughs> okay anyway moving forward we had a little nerd debate so um so let's so i mean the legend aside let's let's actually dive into now that we understand the context the thing a little bit of, of kind of what we're talking about why don't we dive into the history Okay. Truly, right? So we're 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 talking about again uh, Ireland in the fifth uh, century. In the fifth century, um, Patrick was British. He actually was Roman British. Mm-hmm. P- Patricius. This is at a time when the Romans were still occupying the British Isles. Correct. Yeah. The decline of the Roman Empire really didn't. I mean, yes, you did have the the empire start to to have a Western and Eastern Empire at this point, but the Roman Empire didn't truly, truly decline until after the crusades yes and right? then they struck back no i'm just kidding <laughs> um so there was definitely that cultural presence mm-hmm. there um and patrick was uh, a roman british christian his father was a deacon his grandfather was a priest yeah and they were actually pretty wealthy yes they were which is not uncommon mm-hmm. um as well we, the romans were considered the elite right they were the nobility basically mm-hmm. um of europe um, of many parts of Europe. And so, uh, what, well, how does it make sense that his grandfather was a priest and his father was a deacon? This is a point in time where, I mean, it was not an issue for priests or, well, deacons can be married now, but this is not, this is a point in time where it, that wasn't a problem. Priests and bishops could be married and have children at this yeah. part of church history. They were welcome to get their freak on within a marriage. Within the context of, this, <laughs> of the sanctity of marriage. But yes. <laughs> Have it as much as you want, but Maybe. put a ring on it. <laughs> <laughs> on it? <laughs> Sorry. I'm just quoting Beyonce at that point. <laughs> okay. So don't give me crap about this. Come on. So anyway. Um, and then so to, and approximately as the legend goes, around the age of 16, uh, Patrick is kidnapped by Irish pirates. Yes. Which is actually really Yar. badass. <laughs> Yar today, today. <laughs> Uh, I mean, it, it it wouldn't be a St. Patrick's Day episode if we didn't do an Irish stereotype. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no Irish raiders. Um, there were there were some. I mean, I swear to God, Celtic 
tradition and Celtic people were crazy. Yeah. And they were awesome because they were crazy. Uh, I mean, I don't, I not that I want to condone raiding um, other islands and taking back slaves. That's a really bad thing. Um, but it yeah. sounds it sounds cool if you don't put it in that context. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, he he was um kidnapped by Irish raiders at the age of sixteen and he was taken to Ireland and was forced to work there for a few years. Um as an indentured servant. As an indentured servant. Um and then when he got a little bit older, uh he you know, kind of wanted to go back to, he kind of wanted to find his way back to England, but hadn't really planned on making his escape until, you know, as he says in his own writings, um, he had a dream where God told him, your ship is waiting, get to the coast and you can go home. And um, he made his way, he made his escape, made it to the coast, found a ship, hopped on it and made it back to England. Although I think it took him a minute to actually get back to his actual house. Um, a little bit. I, I think he kicked around for a couple of years before he actually went home. Yeah, because I'm also guessing, again, cartography, probably not what it is now. Yeah. So he probably got a little lost, you know. <laughs> Who knows? Wait maybe. a minute. That rock looks familiar. <laughs> it kind of looks like that other rock covered in moss and green <laughs> oh, there's just green everywhere crap what do i do, what do, I do? <laughs> um so they, obviously ireland ireland is eponymously known as the uh is that the right word uh it's just known as the emerald isle yes and it's true because the hills are just br- really green and beautiful but then again that's true for all the british isles mm-hmm. just a lot of green yeah so you know it rains a lot it, it rains a lot um, so the mossy green joke that Sarah made, probably not too far from the truth, yeah. actually. Yeah. Um, so it, it, suffice it to say, he makes it back home to, to Rome and Britain and then um, kind of goes into the family business, right? I mean, yes, he's wealthy, but his he ends up becoming a cleric. Right. He he, a I guess when he um, was was working in Ireland, um, working <laughs> as a shepherd, he was also using that time for prayer. Um, so he was kind of already cultivating his faith based on, you know, what he knew from his dad and grandpa. Um, and um, I have it here that he was there for six years in Ireland before he finally escaped. Um, but, yeah, so he, he decided to take um, take the cloth, go into, into religion, um, and he was learning. And then he actually had a call, another call from God to tell him to go back to Ireland to um to spread the word and and it's to be fair there were already some irish christians there were so here's the thing he is he is by history and by legend the man who christianized ireland that is this is not true he was a definitely a a portion of it mm-hmm. but you know and probably a very big portion cuz his roots his efforts were very grassroots Yes, they were. But he was not the first. Pope Celestine I actually had uh, assigned another bishop, Palladius, uh, to his. He was really charged with being the papal envoy, you know, so to speak, to to Ireland. Like he was said, Celestine said, hey, you're going to go to Ireland. You're going to spread the church. You know, this is your mission. You know, go mm-hmm. forth. <laughs> go forth and prosper. Right. Spread um, the word. Didn't do that great. Oh, no, that's not true. He actually worked... For Primarily in Southern Ireland, yeah. which is 
by modern standards today, the, the Republic of Ireland. That's yeah. where a large part of his work was done. Um, but they were like in pockets. Yeah. Like pockets of areas. Like you, So you would wander about, imagine you're wandering around 5th century Ireland. <laughs> and um, it would kind of be like every once in a while, in a, in a rare long while between villages, you'd probably find a few Christians. Sure. Yeah, it was it was definitely few and far between. And this another thing to note is that keep in mind that this is such an early part in European history that we don't have the borders that we have today, right? Ireland was was Celtic in culture, mm-hmm. but so is France. No, yeah. Gaul, right? And Gaul, so, Gaelic, Gallic, yeah. Exactly. There's all these connections mm-hmm. there. There were Christians in Gaul as well. So it's very possible that through the trade and just through the spreading of that culture that Christianity had trickled into Ireland right. from there too. So it's it would be impossible to say that there were no Christians in Ireland. Um, but there was obviously a big strong devotion to just the pagan religions of, of that right, right. region. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, I mean, it's like, yeah. It's like if you want to say that like Palladius and trade with Gaul and, you know, kind of influence from France was like the menudo that really paved the way for like new kids, Backstreet Boys, NSYNC to just totally take the whole boy band thing over. Oh, uh, uh, wow. So, okay. Yeah. So then are you saying that St. Patrick is the Ricky Martin? I'm of... saying that St. Patrick is like the Backstreet Boys. Okay. Or the new kids. Okay. Like really sweeping the boy band craze, like totally through Ireland. I mean, pop culture. <laughs> you know, when we went into this episode, um, <laughs> there were a lot of different ways I thought we could approach this. Boy band's not one of them. But um, I was just fair play, I'm Ashley. Just, fair play. I'm just, you know, providing what I can. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's so funny. Um, okay, so that being said, right? So Patrick... He fo- focused mostly on Northern Ireland mm-hmm. and did a lot of, and actually specifically uh, Armagh, um, that area. Uh, to, and there's a there's that cathedral. Actually, there's two cathedrals there that still stand from his ministry. That was the word oh. I'm looking for. Okay. Um, that they're not the original churches, of course, um, but they represent his ministry mm-hmm. uh, in that part, and and that's a large part to do with the fact that. Um, post-Protestant Reformation and post the schism of North and South Ireland, there's two St. Patrick's cathedrals in Armagh now. There's an Anglican cathedral and a Catholic cathedral. Um, They both pay homage to the Christianization that Patrick brought there, but there's just that... It's like the one... one of the two things that Catholics and Protestants in Ireland can agree on. He's like, oh, St. Patrick brought Christianity... And Jesus existed. That's about it. <laughs> yeah. That's about, yeah. Um, and St. Patrick is an old enough saint that actually, Catholic or Protestant aside, actually, he's acknowledged in the Orthodoxy, Lutheranism, as and, and Anglicanism. Yeah. He's, he's that old uh, enough of a saint that right. it, he defies um, denomination. Yeah. I also want to be clear. I'm not trying to trivialize the, the conflict between Catholics and Protestants. Not at and all. I also understand that it's gotten better. Yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um just but, trying to make a joke. No, understood. Um, but what I think is really important is, so we know a little bit about Patrick, but I really want to talk more about like what was he part of, right? Because he, <laughs> yes, he he helped spread it, and of course he did help use the, as the legend goes, the parallels between the shamrock and mm-hmm. paganism to um, to help pagans con- convert. Which, 
again, also not unheard of to use that, though. I mean, we we the Celtic cross, which is the the cross with the circle, um, and has the Celtic knot near the it, intersection. Yeah. Doesn't always have um, doesn't always have the knots, but just in general, the the idea of just having the cross with the circle around the um, cross section there is highly representative of um, kind of encompassing a pagan idea in with a Christian idea. Now, this is like a, a tale as old as time, to quote Beauty and the Beast. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's not uncommon that when, um, you know, Christians were going out and doing con- mass conversions and that kind of thing, that they would use ways to um, integrate already held beliefs and, and integrate the new beliefs. Um, you know, putting Christ's birthday around uh, the celebration of winter solstice and those kinds and of things. And around the birth of Mithra, yeah. Yeah, these are, I mean, this is a, a really valuable tool. Um, and the Celtic cross still stands today. It's um, the circle being representative of the sun god, um, which at that point, you know, they were kind of equating more to like the Holy Spirit type thing. Sure. Um, but it's still it's still a really important symbol and, it, you know, has lasted this long. Yeah. And in a way, actually, if you're talking about being a missionary, mm-hmm. like that you'd have to draw parallels between what someone else connects with and say, well, this is a lot like what I believe. Yeah. And that's kind of how you begin the process of trying yeah. to convince somebody into converting their religion. Mm-hmm. Or you could have just done it like the, I think like the ancient, you know, Greeks used to do it when they were, when people were going around conquering other people's villages and they were Forcing like, it on them, you mean? Yeah. They would just be like, but they were like forcing it, but they're like, look, you've got your... Uh, fertility hearth and home goddess and I've got my thunder god so let's just put your goddess onto our pantheon and you can keep your goddess but then just ours is better. <laughs> where do they get to stand? Well they get a room to the side <laughs> it's got a nice view and there's a nook. There's a there's a nook. There's a nook <laughs> but we get the throne room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, but anyway so as I mean you kind of said it originally you know you're talking about these tiny little sparse populations of Christians, right? Well, if you think about Ireland, Ireland, Ireland to this day outside of Dublin is really just a series of small towns connected by these long roads, mm-hmm. right? So how do you spread Christianity into a country that has, again, these populations that are few and far between? Well, the way that you do it effectively is you do it through monasteries. Yeah. Effectively, right? You establish communities that are, does the, they serve the community, but they pretty much they're these epicenters of, of prayer, Right. And um, it's also a way it's interesting to, to talk about how the power structure within the church uh, changes within these monasteries, because it wasn't just, you know, beggars who were becoming clerics and religious. It was I mean, they they didn't they couldn't even afford the education to to become those. So it was actually wealthy people who were basically devoting their life to the church. And so you have these pretty well made and, you know, powerful monasteries that start ends up being formed um and what i think is more interesting about this is we talk about how the church has always been a patriarchal system and of course i mean i would be lying if i didn't say that that it was but yet you have a really interesting power play that women get to make during this time period well because of the fact that at the time priests were allowed to marry um women actually did have a a powerful role within the church of helping, you know, lead people in prayer, helping guide people, 
Um, there were female deacons at this point in history yeah, too. Yeah. I just, the only thing I don't think I know is if they were, you know, because the monks were the ones who were copying texts and doing more of that in-depth religious study. So I don't know if um, women were really taking part in that. Well, so if you're talking about the monastic lifestyle, I mean, yeah. like the Benedictine style of monasticism. I'm um, talking like the people who like wrote the Book of Kells and that kind of thing. Right. Well, yes, I mean, primarily it was the monks that were the scribes. Right. Right. Um, but I would say it's not necessarily unreasonable to say that nuns didn't do similar things as well. Um, but what I do want to talk about is that within that monastic system, you have to have some form of leader, mm-hmm. right? And so you, you essentially have a, the, the, an abbot. Uh, or hey, abbot. Hey, abbot. Uh, or, you know, of course, abbey is just another word, another form of monastery, if you mm-hmm. really think about it. So you have the abbot, and then if it's a monastery of nuns, then you're talking about an abbess, mm-hmm. right? But why is that significant? Well, they're pretty much in charge of that, of that community and the yeah. faith of that community. The bishop isn't really taking... I mean, yes, of course he checks in, but they're pretty much the governor of this small town that exists within these walls, mm-hmm. right? So if you've got you've got women who are running these monasteries who are effectively acting like bishops without the formal ecclesiastical perks of being a bishop, but they have the same kind of political power uh, within these communities, you know? Um, and I just, I find that really fascinating because you're talking about a point in history that the church was formalized, but yet there's still these little pockets where it's interpreted, you know, differently. Well, and again, coming from Celtic uh, pagan pagan Druid tradition, which was the sacred feminine, of course, yes, they did have, um, you know, fertility goddesses and um, very powerful women within their culture and within legend. Um, I mean, uh, uh, Boudicca, you know, being a, a powerful warrior queen, that right. was, that story was making its way through everywhere, you know, like, not to say that women had it easy, <laughs> but they were definitely held in a much higher regard. Um, and so that was something that was able to, you know, they just translated that over <laughs> and they're yeah. like, we're not going to, we're not going to ditch that part just yet. Sure. And there were also parts of Celtic Christianity that, that didn't fully mesh mm-hmm. with Catholicism. Yeah, we talked about how you had to draw parallels to kind of to get the conversion to take place, but th- there were people who had kind of m- formed their own communities that had meshed the mysticism of yeah. the Celtic faith um, with Christianity. You know, and so you had these kind of these interesting Druid Christian combo mm-hmm. uh, going on, which I thought was also very. It kind of evokes the imagination, you know. Yeah. Well, and I think um, it's kind of hard to say also because history not being fully written down very well. I think there was uh, there was a supposed prophecy of Saint Pat, to like telling of Saint Patrick's coming to convert or whatever that um, was said that was supposedly told by the Druids, um, <laughs> and so that's that's basically I think kind of bull honky at this point. But it was still. Um, Still, the idea of oh yeah, well our druid forefathers said that Saint Patrick was coming, and and kind of using that whole idea of um, kind of suppo- like prophesizing the 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 conversion and all that other stuff as a way of smoothing it over. All right, but we're gonna let's take a, actually a quick little left turn here. So it turns out that there's a little bit of uh, controversy around Saint Patrick. You mean a 
A scandal? A scandal, yes, as we twirl our mustaches. So wait, St. Patrick, patron saint, or reptilian mass murderer? (laughs) (laughs) Surprisingly, not accused of animal cruelty. Um, But actually, uh, in his his text that he wrote, uh, which the title translates roughly to The Declaration. um, Also, another another version is The Confessions um, of St. Patrick. Yeah, yeah, this is... What he wrote about himself, so he didn't call himself saint, of course. That was no, no, no. that was attacked on afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> they call me the saint. Yeah. Um, <laughs> not quite. Um, but it seems actually that he was in a little bit of legal trouble at some point when he was in Ireland. That um, some charges were put against him, though we don't really know what per se. He got in a little bit of he, hot water with the with the regional kings. Yeah. Let know. me also put it this way: uh, people who've read his text basically have said. Wow, he was a terrible writer <laughs> because it's definitely spotty. The prose is not that great, and the you know eh, you can't win them all. But uh, but yeah, so he he was kind of accused of some financial impropriety. Um, basically, he was accused of taking kickbacks. Really, um, that he had give was given gifts by wealthy women. Um, that he was um, trying to uh, obtain positions of power simply for personal gain. Um, that uh, he was taking payments for baptisms and uh, for, uh, you know, ordaining rituals when he was, you know, making priests happen. So, but eventually all that all that stuff was dropped. He basically was like, no, no, seriously, take my word for it. I was not doing all that. I've, I've paid for the gifts that I've given to kings and I've been paying for people to accompany me and, um, you know, saying that he's not, he wasn't taking any kickbacks, so... I mean, he came from a well-off family, so yeah. it's not like he necessarily needed the money, yeah, per se. But um, and I don't blame people for these kind of allegations because this is something that bishops to this day mm-hmm. still fight with, you know. Um, and it's not among other things. I mean, yes, <laughs> the the abuse scandal aside, yes, there are really two scandals facing the church today. One is that the other is the the supposed or just not the supposed the the accounts of corruption mm-hmm. that are on the church on just a on a monetary level you know that has been around forever right and there are some bishops who i don't think they see it this way but they totally are you know they they don't they see themselves as saying well i've taken a vow of poverty this money isn't mine it's the church's money yeah. but you're using the church's money to build yourself a mansion so <laughs> using the church's money to buy that new set of golf clubs exactly it's not the church's money dude <laughs> i mean yes it is but those aren't the church's golf clubs yeah they're yours yeah and i'm sorry where does it serve god to put a spa into your house <laughs> you know it's a baptismal jacuzzi <laughs> <laughs> i've blessed it and everything <laughs> Exactly. So, um, and we're obviously having a little bit of a good time here with it. Yeah. But but there there are examples of bishops and archbishops to this day who have, in a way, kind of embezzled money from the church, which is meant to get to, to get me wrong. That are meant for the important things that the church is trying to fight, like poverty, for mm-hmm. example. You know, um, and it just goes to show that these kind of allegations go back. 15, 1600 years, unfortunately. Right. You know, and sad to say that St. Patrick was was not immune from those kind of scandals. Then also, you know, it, sometimes you don't always want to. It 
it's not uncommon to to be distrustful of somebody who's coming in and making huge changes, you know. Right. And you're kind of like, whoa, what? Why are they doing this? They can't be doing this simply because they want to tell the word of God. But there's got to be something more going on, right? So. Um, and you know, we've talked a lot about Saint Patrick now, but yeah. he is only one of three patron saints. Like you said, you talk about Saint Bridget. Uh, there's also Saint Columba, which we made a joke about way back in the uh, about a year ago when we talked Saint about Saint Columbo. <laughs> ah, yes, yes. Oh, my mistake. I'm sorry. Believe what you want. Now okay. try to do that voice with an Irish accent. Hey, you die, you die. No, you can't. <laughs> that's just that's that's, that's the, the that's how you get into the Irish accent. It's Haiti, Haiti, Tay. How do you do an Irish accent? Because then now you sound like a pirate. <laughs> when you do, do sound like a pirate. an Irish Columbo. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right, then. So, folks. Um, He's Jeffrey Rush. <laughs> <laughs> apparently, I'm Jeffrey Rush. I am Barbosa from the, <laughs> from the Pirates of the Caribbean films. Um, thank you, Jack. Okay, so anyway. Yeah. Um, so, let's talk about St. Bridget of Kildare. First Not all, to be confused with Bridget, the Celtic goddess. Well, you know, I'm, the coincidence is a little striking, isn't it? Yeah. Um, now, granted, again, we talked about, like like with Boudicca, Irish are very proud people. And, yeah. of course, they would name their children after these yeah, legends. So, and, she was, and she was Irish, so she probably could have been named after the, the goddess. So Yeah. Though you didn't see a lot of people being named Cuculin. And that's, that's probably not. No, you're like, who's that? Sorry, that that sounds totally random. Cuculin was actually a big Irish um, legendary hero, almost yeah. like the Irish version of Hercules. Mm-hmm. Um, you didn't see a lot of people, at least a lot that I see. I don't hear many people with that kind of name. But um, anyway, um, Bridget was was important because she was a nun, and she was an abbess. So she was she played into the whole monasticism uh, piece. And I also misspoke slightly a bit earlier. Uh, monasteries and abbeys are not necessarily the same thing. Monasteries can be tied to an abbey. Right. Um, but that being said, you know, I think an abbey is actually a, uh, is the next level up from okay. monastery. Thank you for clarifying. That's why I'm here. Um, so let's talk about her a little bit. Um, the two major saints um, have a connection, right? Yes, they do. Um, uh, Bridget's mother was a Christian picked and, and a slave who you know, by all accounts that we know of, was actually baptized by St. Patrick himself. Now, wouldn't that be convenient? It would be. Yeah. So probably a legend. I don't know if there's any documentation that can substantiate that other than church, you know, whatever the church legend is. But pretty cool if if that were the case. Not necessarily too far-fetched, right? Because Patrick was there in Ireland around 430 or so. And, uh, you know, we're talking about Bridget's, she became she founded a monastery around the year 480 mm-hmm. so really only a 50 year difference if we're putting a generation between them it's pretty plausible actually it is her pretty mom plausible. Yeah. could have been baptized however what's let well i wouldn't say it's like impossible for this to happen but the reasoning is probably less likely there <laughs> there is a legend kind of saying that when bridget was a baby um and she was she herself was actually born into slavery again her mother was a slave um when uh Bridget tried to be when the a druid tried to feed Bridget. She apparently puked because he was impure. <laughs> Chances are she was a baby and she vomited because she was a baby and babies apparently vomit a lot. Right, but as we know with people who write legends, they try to throw significance on anything. Yeah, yeah, right? and also the Irish, <laughs> like 
We do like to spin a yarn, don't we? <laughs> we yes, we do. We definitely <laughs> do. So, you know, it's like if Patrick had had some indigestion, you know? Yeah. Uh, and you now his, oh God, his feces was was an odd was an odd color. He's like, oh, well, clearly there was a sign that the yes. devil was coming. Right? Yes, you know? I'm pooping out the devil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the episode title. <laughs> you and I were both thinking, is that going to be the episode title? After got pooping out the devil, the St. Patrick story. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> um, it burns. It burns. It burns. Um, but one of the interesting things about St. Bridget, too, is that I believe she restored the sight of her sister, or it was someone who, who had, like, literally, like, her eyes had been, like, burned out, and she was able to restore their vision. Blech. Yeah. Again, no way to substantiate that, but I just find it really, very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, here's the kind of craziest thing. She kind of went Oedipus on herself a little bit. Um, Let's clarify what that means, yes, shall that's, we? That's clear. <laughs> she was chased, so uh, it was not that she it like was not that part. <laughs> she didn't. She didn't go like Electra and have you know relations with her father or anything like right, that. Right. Thank you. Rather, um, that she was after she had you know promised a life of chastity. Yeah. She basically was forced into an engagement by her brothers because yeah. they wanted the dowry basically mm-hmm. for her marriage. Um, and, you know, this guy's like, oh, you're so beautiful. You're so beautiful. She's like, yeah, I'm beautiful now. And she digs her fingers into her eyes and literally pulls her eyes out in front of them. I, uh, I don't know if, was it really that she pulled her eyes out or just poked her eyes really hard and was really bloody? Either way. (laughs) What? Either way, she voluntarily took finger to eye contact. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just saying, what the crap? (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's insane. Yeah, well, and so this is the really crazy part, because obviously everybody is freaked out that she just stabbed herself in the eye, um, and her brothers wanted to start to, like, you know, rinse her eyes off because of all the blood and goo and crap, um, and, but there was no water around them in the area, and then Bridget said, you know, take my take my walking stick and stab it into the ground, and they did, and a bunch of water came pouring out. Um, and then, yeah, then they were able to use that to, you know, kind of wash and start to clean her eyes. What? Two miracles in one. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and gory. Like, you you will find that in a Tarantino flick someday. I promise you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then she went to her brother and said, is this your card? <laughs> <laughs> it was the ace of spades. <laughs> so, um... Guys, I mean, I I am a Catholic. I, there, that is no surprise to our listeners at this point. But some of these some of these miracles are like they're straight up Copperfield. As I say, <laughs> pretty much like Siegfried and Roy, <laughs> you know, with less tiger mauling. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I, like you would be surprised to find out that Saint Bridget actually had a Siberian white tiger. Yeah, um, seriously. <laughs> and a Las Vegas act. <laughs> Las Vegas act. So. Um, Guys, just some of these stories are so incredible. But you know, they're definitely like you just like wow. Like if this is all I had, right, as a person to to listen to when there was no no radio, no television, and hardly any books around, this it's is interesting. Stuff. Yeah, this is blockbuster material. Here, you oh know? yeah, absolutely. Like it, people, people need to be writing this into a book, man. If they haven't already, <laughs> exactly. So, um, fun stuff. So. Um, so that's St. Bridget mm-hmm. in like a, uh, in a nutshell. Yeah. 
don't we talk about the other? Yeah, Saint Columba. Uh, ah, yes. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you exactly. And uh, he was um, just an Irish abbot and, and same thing, kind of missionary. But um, he actually was uh, credited for spreading Christianity in Scotland, actually. So he's the the Saint Patrick of Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah. Now, keep in mind, this is a point in time where, yes, even though Ireland and Scotland were different countries, Mm -hmm. culturally speaking, not very different at all. Yeah, they're pretty similar. Um, Although I think they still kind of warred against each other a little bit. But oh, yeah, there were the Irish Celts and the Scottish Celts. Mm -hmm. But even the word Scotland actually in Latin meant land of the Irish. Like it was the Irish was a word I, I. Ire or Ier was the mm-hmm. name for the island yeah. that the Celts of that area lived on. Right. right? It was. I mean, keep in mind, folks. There was a. We have to do. We have to do an episode on the ancient Celts because mm-hmm. that's amazing people. We've we've implied it so many times that we should do it. We just I haven't know. done it. Maybe next March. But like, they were they rivaled the Romans as far as taking over Europe. Mm-hmm. Right. In fact, the Romans decided: Are we going to go war with the Celts? Nah. Nah. We'll trade with them instead. Better, better for We've business. said it before. Naked blue people with poo and lime in their hair. Yes. <laughs> yeah, a bit scary. <laughs> a little bit frightening. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, the name Scotland was just another word of saying, oh, right. that's the land where these people live, basically. Yeah. Uh, land for where these Celtic people live. I mean, and still, it is very similar, you know, um, like there were Irish chiefs and tribes in their, in their counties and their regions. Um, you know, in Scotland, they had clans that were, you know, very tight knit communities and families, and um, the structures were not all that different. Yeah, not not tremendously different. And I think they shared a lot of the similar beliefs um, as far as you know, pagan rituals and and whatnot are concerned. So, um, and you know, the the picks and the galls and that that kind of thing, they're all spread around the same area. But do not call the Irish and the Scottish the same. Oh, of course not. Now nowadays, them's fighting words. Exactly. Um, definitely, definitely. Um, but the big thing is that just as, you know, monasticism had taken on in Ireland, it was a very big reason for spreading of Christianity in Scotland. And Columba was a contributor to that. Yeah. Although he was a little, he was after Bridget. So he's at, so Bridget was after St. Patrick and then Columba came after, um, Bridget. So he's the threequel to the yeah. to the the spreading of he's the he's the return of the Jedi in this one. Got it. Okay. Good to know. But to with know. with fewer Ewoks. I mean, the Scots are a fairly hairy people, but not an Ewok status. <laughs> <laughs> Kidding. Uh, I'm partially Scottish too. It's Me okay. too. <laughs> I give you a pass. I give you a pass. Let's just let's just say it, Brian. We're we're Northern European mutts here. <laughs> yeah, we're definitely Euro mutts. Yeah, no no question. I call myself an Anglo-Saxon American. <laughs> So, like, you know, St. Patrick having visions and banning snakes and, like, Bridget with her famous eye gouging. And, uh, and keep in mind, she did her fair share of Christ-like things, yes, too. Absolutely. Healing the sick. Right. Curing leprosy. Yeah. A couple of circumstances of bringing people back to life. Well, and, you know, making butter come back or something like that. Well, you know, the Irish are very serious about their butter. Serious about the butter. So, um, I mean. Almost as serious as the potatoes. Yeah. Um, and butter and potatoes. Are you kidding me? That's, they go together. That's Irish Thanksgiving, basically. <laughs> um, but Columba had some pretty significant miracles, too. Again, healing diseases, um, expelling spirits, uh, returning the dead to life, calming storms, that kind of thing. But this is 
This is the cool one, okay? This is the this is the the Vegas money maker, yeah. as it were. Right, right, right. So uh, there was a pail of milk that apparently had a demon in it, because <laughs> a milk demon, a folks. milk demon. This is I how guess. they explained lactose intolerance in sure. this period. <laughs> In, in history. Exactly, exactly. Um, and so he actually uh, cast the demon out of the pail, subsequently spilling all the milk that's in it. However, he returned the milk into the pail and uh, and and saved 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 all the spilt milk. It was and it was good to good to drink again. I'm thinking. That it, he was also, you know, Saint Columba of Bounty, the quilted quicker picker upper. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> true. And after he put his quilt over it and restored the milk, then he went, "Is this your card?" <laughs> <laughs> also, the Ace of Spades. What? It's a callback miracle. <laughs> Saint Cla- so he did all these things, and of course, we we can't forget that he um he also moonlit as a detective. Yes. In uh, Scotland, uh, he was known. Of course, we know this because of he he wore the you know the traditional clerical robes. You no, know, he had the yeah. tonsure for on the head. You know, right. he had the the pallium he would wear with his chasuble. You know, and then of course, but he we cannot forget the trench coat. Yes, then the mystery anyway. solving. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um. But okay. Okay. But this is also really kind of interesting. Um. It's supposedly said that in one of the writings about Columba that it's actually also one of the earliest references to the Loch Ness Monster. Serious? I'm dead serious. Nessie uh, <laughs> and St. Columba, two legends combined into one? Yes. I mean, we're talking like a buddy cop movie right now. <laughs> Guys, this is like ancient lethal weapon. Right? Exactly. Well, okay. Except Nessie was the bad guy. Um, oh, fair enough. Yeah, bad girl. <laughs> she, didn't, she didn't pop up and say, you crazy, Columba, you crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting too old for this shit. um no so there was uh i guess columba had stumbled upon a group of picks who were uh, burying a man who had been killed by a monster while swimming um and then columba goes to the lake or the lock in this case (laughs) and um saves a swimmer from the same monster with the sign of a cross um and you know saying I believe this is a quote. Though sh- thou shalt go no further, nor touch the man. Go back with all speed. So and, he really and the, pulled a Gandalf, is what you're saying? Yeah, you shall not pass. You shall not pass. Yeah, and wow. and the and Nessie did a 180 and went off. <laughs> so, <laughs> wow. Theoretically, Columba and Nessie had a little showdown. Wow. I know. Interesting. I'm now. I'm just imagining some. Old timey bishop just going up, going to, going up to Nessie. The power of Christ compels you, and Nessie's head spinning. <laughs> oh my God! Oh, clearly well, we don't take Columba nearly as seriously as yeah. Patrick. <laughs> Folks, we hope we you've enjoyed our very earnest take on the history of Christianization in Ireland, and our humorless, devoid of any brevity yes uh i can't even, I can't even you can't even say it with a straight face I can't even say it with a straight face this was a lot of fun this was fun <laughs> i think and you know what considering we just talked about eugenics for the last month we needed a little bit of a lighter yeah. episode so i'm glad we did this yeah i did yeah and guys i gotta say 
no alcohol, no wine nope. here at all. And Sarah and I are known for having some red wine when yeah. we record. It's so, just been a long day. <laughs> it's been a long day. It has indeed. Uh, so, yeah. And, you know, of course, as always, don't take our word for it. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of stuff we didn't talk about. We didn't even talk about the Book of Kells. Yeah. Only tangentially, which is a beautiful uh, example of Celtic artwork. If and you ever have a chance to go to Dublin, Ireland, go to Trinity College and to see the Book of Kells, it's beautiful. Yeah. Or you can even look it up online. Actually, well, uh, one of my one of my tattoos. I've mentioned one of my tattoos before on the podcast. Yeah. The other of my tattoos is um, uh, a, a letter A that's inspired by the Book of Kells. Right. Which is um, for those who just want a quick definition, it's a Celt. It's a monastic writing of the mm-hmm. Gospels, essentially. Yeah. Um, but uses just the beautiful they're called medieval. They're yeah. called illuminated texts. Yes, um, and they're uh, the, each page is just bundles and bundles of artwork, um, kind of uh, in, in wrapped and intertwined into the lettering, and it's absolutely stunning. Yeah, it's true. And keep in mind, this is also hand done, yeah. hand drawn over a thousand years ago. Mm-hmm. Really, really amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we didn't get a chance to talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a lot about Irish history that we could talk about. Sure. If we wanted to actually just do an episode all about the history of Ireland. Um, and all We couldn't of, fit it into one episode. We couldn't. But, but all of the conflict, all of, I mean, as with any country. Yeah. Any of the European... Well, not, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't say that. For many of the countries, I agree. But mm-hmm. Ireland, Ireland has a very rich yeah. history to it. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I wanted to also bring up is that you can actually find the Confessions of St. Patrick online. Uh, granted, of course, since the form of English he would have spoken in, in Gaelic at that period was not something we'd be able to understand by modern standards, so it's been translated. Yeah. And because of that, it is not in the public domain. There is people who have published it under their own mm-hmm. names, so you, you it's not available for free, unfortunately. Unless you happen to know, you know, old English, uh, which is, hey, have at it. Actually, but, I would even be, it would it'd probably be in Latin, wouldn't it? Probably because he was a church yeah. person. Yeah. Yeah. A church was, person? He was a church person. He was a church person. Really, Brian? Yeah, wow. You? <laughs> Sorry. Um, so yeah, no, probably because he was a, a clergyman. Yeah. He yeah. Um, probably would have written in Latin. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, you're probably right. In that case, hey, if you know your uh, ancient Latin, have at it, you know, if you can find it. Um, but that being said, you can find it on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did. It did come up, come up during the... Um, research and also, if you have an iPhone, I think it's worth it to look up the Armagh Cathedrals, A R M A G H, that gives you an audio and picture tour of the cathedrals in Ireland that are devoted to Saint Patrick. Uh, really, really spectacular. And hey, if you actually end up going to Armagh, you can go, and it's also a tour guide to get you around like places to go when you're in that part of Ireland. Nice. So pretty cool. Or you could just go to Ireland because it's awesome. Ireland is awesome, mm-hmm. and even though I've never been. I, I I I so like. I've been. I know you've been just once, but it yeah. was great, life changing experience for me. That's what I've heard, and yeah, I would just I I am dying to go. So nerds, if you would like to uh, send us there, give us money. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's get into some feedback, shall we? Sure. This week in listener feedback, uh, we got some feedback from Allison, uh, who subject is genetic screening. Mm. So clearly talking about our uh, eugenics, our eugenics episode off of that. She says, hey, guys, I loved your series on eugenics, especially the second episode. 
I wanted to comment on the idea of genetic screening, which you touched on at the end of the episode. I'm actually in the process of hopefully genetically screening a child. We've been trying to have a baby for over three years with no results. Uh, I'm about to have IVF in vitro fertilization in a few weeks. Uh, we've chosen to do something called PGS, pre-implementation genetic, genetic screening. They'll do the basic egg retrieval and sperm meets egg processes. Then they will let the embryos grow until day five, at which point each surviving embryo has several hundred cells. Then they will biopsy that embryo by taking the portion of the material that will eventually turn into the placenta. Uh, PGS will check to see if the embryos are chromosomally normal. At my age, early 30s, typically about 50% of the embryos will be chromosomally abnormal. For a 40-year-old woman, about 80 to 90% of the embryos will be chromosomally abnormal. Doing PGS helps to determine which embryo is uh, the most likely to turn into a living, healthy baby. It isn't about selecting the perfect child. Uh, it's about selecting a living child. Right. Uh, almost all of the chromosomally abnormal embryos won't implant or will eventually miscarry. Mm -hmm. I think the ability to do this genetic testing is a scientific miracle. I do recognize the ethical implications of it. I have the option of knowing and or choosing the gender of the embryo that will be transferred into me. I don't care whether I have a boy or a girl, so I'm choosing to find out the gender after the transfer is finished. So good I, for you. Yeah, good. So I don't have to make a choice. And aside from gender selection, there are a host of other ethical issues that exist currently or likely will exist in the future as the technology improves. This is not far removed from the Gattaca conversation No, absolutely. At all. It's not far removed. Yeah. Regardless, uh, if IVF with genetic testing gives me the child that I've been dreaming of, I will be forever grateful. Sure. Yeah, and this is, I mean... You this do is have... why we said that kind of this this science is a gray area because there are some pretty dangerous ethical implications. But for this, you know, purpose, a lot of people are using it just to complete their families, you know? So I can't fault anybody for that. No, absolutely. No, we can't. And it is pretty, it's pretty freaking amazing that we can do this stuff. Yeah, it's, it's spectacular. Yeah. We also have one more from Twitter. Uh, from Rachel, uh, who says, listening to Eugene Enthusiasts Part 2 from Nerdonomy, uh, Nerds in History, um, if you haven't seen The Imitation Game, Alan Turing ties into the topic. Which we mentioned in the second episode. Yes, we did. Saw the movie right before the, the mm -hmm. Academy Awards. Fantastic. Yeah. God, Benedict Cumberbatch, I mean, I already knew he was a great actor before him, but brilliant portrayal. Yeah, absolutely. Of that character. And yeah, there's definitely the, the with the whole chemical castration element mm -hmm. of Turing's life. Yeah, there's definitely eugenics that are going into that. Um, so, very very sad, very mm -hmm. sad. Um, and thank you for making that that reference to it because um, it needs to be repeated. So, thank you very much. As we've stated, as we said uh, earlier, don't take our word for it. But also, you know. Give us some feedback. We love hearing it. You know, there's a couple ways you can do that. One is to hit us up on our Twitter accounts at Nerdonomy or, of course, our personal ones. I'm at Brian Moriarty. I'm at Sarah Ash 16 um, But you can also just go to Nerdonomy.com and give us feedback by clicking on the Talk to Us button, mm -hmm. you know. And while you're at Nerdonomy.com, there's a few other things you can do to support us. Uh, Sarah? Yeah, you can click the Donate button. Give us a few dollars. You can go to our T-shirt page, get a T-shirt. You can click um, any of the Amazon banners that you find in past episodes. Um, and you can also go to, uh, if you don't want to, if you just want to bypass the website altogether, you can go to audibletrial.com slash nerdonomy and you can get a free trial on some audiobooks and we get a little bit of support from that too. We do indeed. 
So, um, yeah, and I think more importantly, spread the word of nerd. Mm -hmm. Tell your friends and family about our podcasts because we've got, at this point, over 100 episodes from both Nerds on History and Nerds on Film. And the only way we're going to grow is if more people listen yep. to us. So um, you guys are just as much a part of that as us spending money on advertising on the Facebooks. So um, anything you can do to, to get us out there be, is always appreciated. Uh, and you know what, nerds? It is that time. So until we meet again, stay nerdy and get into our next exciting episode. Same nerd time, same nerd channel. Nerdonomy.com. Bye. Yeah, you did. Sarah, isn't it? We're recording on on a Tuesday. And I am so wasted. Happy Tuesday. Oh, God. Ah! <laughs>